Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If you are a novice training to join the Roman Catholic religious order of the Jesuits, of which Pope Francis is a member, one of the requirements is to be sent on pilgrimage. The novice is given $5 and a one-way ticket to some city that his novice director has predetermined. For the next 12 to 14 days, the novice seeks the tangible presence of God to deepen his reliance on God's care, God's protection, God's voice. The novice begs for food, shelter, and transportation, making very real his dependence on God's loving care as well as his dependence on others. Jesus himself established the model of this kind of pilgrimage. At the beginning of chapter 9 in Luke's Gospel, Jesus sends out his 12 disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal, to make people whole, just as Jesus himself has been doing. 
Jesus tells his 12 disciples, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Today's gospel reading is the beginning of Luke's next chapter, chapter 10, and Jesus is sending out 70 others to do the same thing, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal, to bring wholeness. And he tells them, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Now, if the 12 disciples symbolize the future leaders of the church, the 12 disciples have traditionally been considered the first bishops of the church, then who are the 70? They represent the rest of Jesus' followers, folk like you and me. Today's story, then, is not just about those 70 in our gospel, but about you and me and what Jesus is sending us out to do, to spread the kingdom of God, the rule on earth of love, compassion, and forgiveness, and to heal all manner of sickness, brokenness, division, to bring shalom, peace, wholeness, oneness. But Jesus tells the 70 who represent you and me not only what to do to heal and proclaim the kingdom of God, but how to go about it. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Why? I understand why Jesus sends out his 12 disciples and then the 70 others to heal, to make whole, and to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. That is what Jesus himself does. And so it only makes sense that he would send out his followers to do the same thing. But why? Why does he impose the added hardship of having to go out with no money, no knapsack, not even sandals? On this Independence Day weekend, Jesus is quite literally instructing the 70, and by extension, you and me, to be dependent. Dependent on God, dependent on the hospitality of those strangers to whom they are being sent. And then he warns the 70 that they will be vulnerable to being attacked by some people who may reject their message. I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves, he tells them. It makes sense that Jesus sends them out to preach the kingdom and to heal, but why such an insistence that they be dependent and vulnerable? I would suggest that one possible reason may be that physical dependence and vulnerability often bring a concomitant spiritual dependence on God and an openness, vulnerability, and humility. The 70 followers of Jesus, who again represent us, are to proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet, the people 
to whom they are sent will not recognize the reality of that kingdom of God if they do not see it present in and among the 70 themselves. Jesus taught that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And I think he was referring to the openness, vulnerability, dependence, and humility of a little child. Openness, vulnerability, dependence, humility. I think you would agree that these are not virtues that we tend to see in much abundance in our culture and nation today. Rather, we are more likely to see closed-mindedness, defensiveness and aggression, a stubborn independence, and the hardened, partisan, unbudging conviction that I and my group are right, and you and your group are not only wrong, you are the enemy. Brian McLaren, one of the permanent faculty members of Richard Rohr's Living School, has done extensive study on the psychology and sociology of our many human biases, most of which we are unaware because they are simply the way our brains work to protect our innate vulnerability. Listen to a brief description of a few of these biases and notice any of them which you might see operating in yourself or our culture or our nation. Confirmation bias is our brain's tendency to reject anything that doesn't fit in with our current understanding, paradigm, belief system, or worldview. Complexity bias is our brain's tendency to prefer a simple untruth to a complex truth. Community bias is our brain's natural tendency to reject any idea that will endanger our status in the communities we belong to, to choose tribe over truth. Comfort bias is our brain's tendency to reject information that makes us uncomfortable. Confidence bias is our brain's tendency to believe people who display confidence even when they're wrong. Complementarity bias is our brain's tendency to react in kind. If you are hostile to my ideas, I'll be hostile to yours. Do unto others what they do to you. Jesus, of course, flipped this and said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All of these biases and more are ways our brains try to protect our vulnerabilities. We all have these biases to a greater or lesser degree but we only grow spiritually, psychologically, and relationally when we become aware of these biases and adjust our perspective, attitude, and approach to life accordingly. 
because these biases function to protect our vulnerabilities, overcoming them can leave us open, unprotected, and vulnerable. And that's a good thing. Because the truth is, the reality is, the fact is that we are vulnerable. David Lowe's writes, any illness, any loss, any death or disappointment or tragedy, any of which could happen to any of us at any moment, reminds us painfully of just how incredibly vulnerable we actually are. Consider our pastoral care emails, our prayer requests. We are constantly praying for someone who has had a stroke or who has been diagnosed with cancer or COVID or who has had surgery or is on hospice and on and on. There is no denying the human condition. We human beings are, by our very nature, vulnerable. It's how God created us, and therefore, it's a good thing. Poet David White writes, vulnerability is not a weakness or something we can arrange to do without. Vulnerability is not a choice. Vulnerability is the underlying, ever-present and abiding undercurrent of our natural state. To run from vulnerability is to run from the essence of our nature. The attempt to be invulnerable is the vain attempt to become something we are not. Our choice is to inhabit vulnerability as generous citizens, robustly and fully, or conversely, as misers and complainers, reluctant and fearful, always at the gates of existence, but never bravely and completely attempting to enter, never wanting to risk ourselves, never walking fully through the door." Unquote. Only vulnerability allows all change, growth, and transformation to happen, even in God, writes Richard Rohr. On the cross, God is revealed as vulnerability itself. God is vulnerability itself. And how could it be otherwise? In the book of James, we read that God is love. And as C.S. Lewis reminds us, to love at all is to be vulnerable. And so perhaps that is why when Jesus sends out the 12 and then the 70 to proclaim God's kingdom, the reign of divine love, he insists that they take nothing with them. For when the people to whom they are sent see that the followers of Jesus are dependent and vulnerable, they will recognize God who is vulnerable love. 